0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studios from South Bend, Indiana is my good friend, my compatriot my buddy, and the man who turned down the job as CEO of Delta Airlines to create Baba Canoosh, Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how you doing, buddy?
1: I just have a thing for eggplants, and I decided eggplant was the direction I wanted to go rather than the millions and the free air miles and, and first-class lounges. All that stuff can be left behind for the joy of the eggplant.
0: <laughs> and there it is <laughs> now you have the full story
1: that's the story Stick with it.
0: how are you this evening deacon i'm doing well ken doing well uh you know it's a again little light summer for me <laughs> as far right. as traveling but uh uh so still doing some writing and yeah, just trying to
1: keep myself busy. <laughs> nice. You know, idle hands are the devil's plaything, as they say, and so uh, you got to keep that devil at bay by by working, typing furiously. Do you have one of those clicky clack keyboards that makes lots of noise, or do you have a silent keyboard as you're doing your writing?
0: No, it's kind of kind of a silent keyboard. It's one of those those Macs, you know, the little ones.
1: Oh yeah, um, with kind of the mushy keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Mine is one of those clicky clacky keyboards so that like when, you know, when we're in the office in the before and after times of COVID, it sounds like I'm furiously writing, whereas it's probably me hitting the delete key because <laughs> I've mistyped yet another word. <laughs> so that's, I probably have revealed way too much with that, but that's <laughs> how, I, how I roll. <laughs> well, how are things on uh,
0: campus? I know it's summertime there and, uh, I know that, wait, are they having summer classes
1: this year or? So, or? Um, yeah, so students who need to have uh, classes for their degree work, uh, the, the few programs that require that are indeed having classes, but there are no, you know, optional kind of electives that are available throughout the summer. Oh, um, I see. One lovely thing is that uh, we, we will be having study abroad in the fall. So that oh. is a glorious return to students being able to have that important experience of study abroad, you know, especially for programs like the Irish Studies program and and things like that, where they can be, you know, actually in the country that they're learning about. So that's a, a very positive development. And that also means theoretically that... Uh, I'll be able to do some travel for the work of the center uh, back in the fall. We'll see kind of what happens there, but uh, we have a lot of potential programs on the on the docket that uh, would include travel to like um, England and and perhaps Ireland and and hopefully back to Italy at some point soon.
0: Oh, that'd be great! Yeah, I can't wait to start travel internationally, which uh, could I mean we got a pilgrimage scheduled for uh, October. Right and uh, and and so far from what we're seeing from um, the Greece because uh, it's footsteps of Saint Paul, so we're doing the Athens and Turkey and what we saw from those countries, their version of the of the CDC, um, they're just requiring a negative COVID test. They're not requiring sure. any blood tests or anything like that. Just a negative COVID test, seventy two hours before travel, and which is reasonable. I mean, you yeah. know, so. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: they don't want you getting them sick and they don't want you being sick either. Well, you right. 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 Yeah. Well, Deacon, we have been chatting about Pope John Paul II's Evangelium Vitae, his powerful encyclical from 1995 on the gospel of life. And last week we left off our conversation with um, right at the point where the rubber really hits the road, as it were. So in the section entitled, from man in regard to his fellow man, man I will demand an accounting for human life, human life being sacred and inviolable. And we're picking up our conversation with paragraph 57. And um, this is a paragraph where the Holy Father, John Paul II really expresses his teaching office in the strongest possible way. So take us through this paragraph.
0: Okay. So it's important to understand when we talk about definitive teaching or infallible teaching by the church, there's three ways in which that teaching um, presents itself. The first is called the extraordinary papal magisterium. That's when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, as we say, from the chair, um, where he speaks definitively and authoritatively about a specific topic of dogma. So the last time that happened <laughs> was 1950, <laughs> right. <laughs> with, right? With the dogma of the assumption. And then prior to that was 1854. Right. Um yeah, where, the Immaculate, where, conception, the immaculate conception. So yeah. y- you see, it's not often where the Pope teaches with that kind of authority, okay? But but that's the first kind. The second kind is the extraordinary. Episcopal Magisterium. That's where all the bishops in communion with the Pope speak authoritatively and definitively at a, at a council that right. define a particular dogma. So, for example, there were none of that kind of teaching at Vatican II. Okay? there was There was no... Change. There was no, despite what some people want to say, uh, there were no t- changing or no new dogmatic pronouncements or anything like that at Vatican II. However, if you look at the, the early councils of the church—Nicaea in 325, right? Uh, Constantinople, uh, Ephesus, Chalcedon—you know they 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 made some very definitive pronouncements about the person and nature of Jesus Christ. Okay, would this the include,
1: th- uh, By the way, so like at Trent, when they said, if you believe this. You are excommunicated. Co- co- correct these sorts of statements. Yes.
0: Right? you are. Uh, yeah, you, you are anathema, uh, cut off. Yeah, from the, from the church if if you don't accept this. Um, and the third kind is the extraordinary universal episcopal magisterium, and that's what we're seeing here. This is when, the pope, and the bishops in meet with him make a definitive statement that's not part of a council, that's not necessarily ex cathedra, but in a matter of faith and moral. Where he speaks definitively as the Pope. And then it's again accepted by all the bishops in communion with him as well. So this is an exercise of papal infall- infallibility through his teaching authority as the Pope. And the way it's worded is the key here. It, this paragraph that Ken referred to says, uh, Therefore, by the authority which Christ confirmed upon Peter and his successors. There, there you see, the Pope and the bishops in communion with him. And in communion with the bishops of the Catholic Church, again, there it is, I confirm that the direct and voluntary killing of an innocent human being is always gravely immoral. Okay. Now, obviously he's not making a new commandment because we already had thou shalt not kill, <laughs> right? And he's right. been speaking about that. We already know that taking an innocent human life is wrong, But but he is making it very definitive and clear that under no circumstances can you e- is it ever okay to take the life of an innocent human being it is considered gravely immoral therefore gravely sinful so the, I mean, so if you're a politician well I personally oppose but I've uh, wrong no okay this is very very clear what the
1: pope is teaching here this is when your faith literally should be lived out in your daily life all of us should should be practicing our faith. If we profess the faith, we should be practicing it. And that includes in your professional job as well. I love that John Paul goes on right after the statement you've quoted to say, this doctrine, based upon that unwritten law which man in the light of reason finds in his own heart, is reaffirmed by sacred scripture, transmitted by the tradition of the church, and taught by the ordinary and universal magisterium. So here he's explaining, look, we feel it in our hearts, in our conscience. We see it written in scripture. We have consistently proclaimed it in the tradition of the church, and it's always been taught in our everyday teaching. So that's what this teaching is based on. It's not, as you said, deacon, it's not something that the Pope is just all of a sudden declaring out of thin air it has always been part of our teaching. And so that is the force of this statement. And what is it again? The direct and voluntary killing of an innocent human being is always gravely immoral. And it's important that he uses the word gravely there too, because what do we say when we talk about mortal sin? We say mortal sin has to be grave matter. And so he's telling us that to Procure an abortion is a grave matter, which is a mortal sin. The, the content is more is mortal sin. Now, culpability and freedom can be compromised, but the matter itself is gravely immoral.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, he, he goes on to say that it's always morally evil and can never be licit either as an end in itself or as a means to a good end. Okay, so so there he's evoking one of the principles of double effect, which we're gonna talk about. I have some notes coming up in, uh, in in our future discussions about that. But basically you cannot commit an act of evil because something good could come out of it. Right. right? So, well, I'm gonna kill this baby so I don't have to lose my job or something like that. That's well, you know, that's not acceptable here.
1: Or, I mean, and this could theoretically be a real situation, our child that we already have is dying. But if we get stem cells that we create, then we can maybe make the kid better. Therefore, we're going to abort our child in the womb to save the one we already have. That would be an example of this, an evil being committed with the idea as a means to a good end. Mm. It's simply not acceptable.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that could be a realistic example, too. Right. In in, in this day and age, yeah, with the technology we have. Sure. Sure.
1: He then goes on to say, as far as the right to life is concerned, every innocent human being is absolutely equal to all others. This is a vitally important principle that we have lost track of in our day and age, especially with the move to um, abort children that are Uh, that have genetic abnormalities like down syndrome or things like that, because that's saying, well, this child's life is less than it would be. So therefore we're going to abort it. Unacceptable. Every innocent human being is absolutely equal to all others. As he says, this equality is the basis of all authentic social relationships, which to be truly such can only be founded on truth and justice, recognizing and protecting every man and woman as a person and not as an object to be used. Before the moral norm which prohibits the direct taking of the life of an innocent human being, quote, there are no privileges or exceptions for anyone. It makes no difference whether one is master of the world or the poorest of the poor on the face of the earth. Before the demands of morality, we are all absolutely equal. That is a beautiful phrase. That is a beautiful teaching. And that's something this is the basis upon which we say equality, right? We are all yep. absolutely equal before
0: the moral law. Yeah, absolutely right. And it doesn't matter about race, color, creed, you know, we're all equal before God. And this is so beautiful because it really brings out in a very beautiful way, kind of like salt brings flavor out of food. You know, he, he's salting uh, this sickle with this beautiful phrase that, that brings out the fact um, that we have to see the image and likeness of God in the person standing in front of us. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and this is one of the keys. I know he's talking about the uh, abortion here, but uh, I think it's one of the keys for ending racism. <laughs> you know, right. um, you know, it, l- looking, at, looking at someone and saying this person is equal to me no matter what their color, race, social class, status, doesn't matter. You know, we need to see Jesus standing in the person standing in front of us or in the womb it's all it's all a continuum as far as right. the, we're concerned yeah
1: it's also a very counterintuitive principle because the history of humankind has always been a history of enslavement of the other and of pushing down anybody who's in your way this is a profound statement that we are all equal that we are all absolutely equal, as he says. This is what Christianity really brings. This is what Christianity brought to the Roman Empire that felt perfectly happy leaving out baby girls, you know, new newborn baby girls to be exposed to the elements because they valued men more than, than girls. I mean, Christianity said, no, that's unacceptable and has done so, I mean, we read it last week or we talked about it previously, the Didache, you know, condemned abortion from the first century of the Christian era. So this is a new teaching that is founded upon the equality we share as created beings in the image and likeness of God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he goes on to say in paragraph 58, um, we need now more than ever to have the courage to look the truth in the eye and call things by their proper name— Without yielding to convenient compromises or the temptation of self-deception. Yeah, oh no, I love Can that.
1: I'm just pro-choice. I'm not. Pro- I'm. I'm not for abortion. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. See. Yeah. What is the choice that you're you're in in favor of? The choice is either to kill or to to preserve life. This twisting of language that unfortunately even in recent statements by leaders in the church we've seen using phrases like pro-choice in in documents that are meant to teach other, other bishops and things like that. Uh, recently, a, a letter from the prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith used the phrase pro-choice politicians. That is, honestly, I found it totally unacceptable to use the phrase pro-choice, because that hides the reality of what's going on. And it's in clear violation of paragraph 58 in John Paul II's teaching here, that we, as you said, we have to have the courage to look the truth in the eye and call things by their proper name. Not only that, words
0: matter, Ken, as you just said, words matter, because look at what it goes on to say. And, And this is 1995, and we're dealing with this stuff right now. Especially in the case of abortion, there is a widespread use of ambiguous terminology such as, quote, interruption of pregnancy, end quote, (laughs) which tends to hide abortion's true nature and to attenuate its seriousness in public opinion. But no word has the power to change the reality of things. Procured abortion is the deliberate and direct killing by whatever means it is carried out of a human being in the initial phase of his or her existence, extending from conception to birth. Bam!
1: Clear, unambiguous teaching from our Pope. And we'll get there later, but it extends to the end of life as well. What do we yes. call it? We call it death with dignity, rather than being killed by your doctor. Yeah, or, see? or committing yeah. suicide because your doctor prescribed you things that he knew what, was, what the effect was going to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, I mean, what does
0: Planned Parenthood use? Um, uh, it's, uh, well, Term- they not interruption of pregnancy. Oh, uh,
1: pro- uh, products of conception. Yeah, products. <laughs> you know, oh, rather man. Aborted Fa- Family
0: business. planning. Yeah. What, what what families have actually women's planned? Women's
1: health. <laughs> uh, yeah. Reproductive justice. Yep. All of these terms, which are simply high income health, health care. Yeah. Or even yeah. just the word health
0: care itself. Yeah with regard to abortion. Right.
1: It's
0: unacceptable.
1: Now, John Paul, however, is a pastor as well. He's a pastor of souls. And so it's important that he, he talks about this to speak about the, as I mentioned before, you know, the act itself of procured abortion is morally gravely illicit. But the culpability that attaches to that act on any individual mother or, or set of parents is different than the act itself. And because of things like coercion and even fully understanding what's going on. And so John Paul really speaks about this as well as a pastor Um, And he goes on here in 58 to say, it is true that the decision to have an abortion is often tragic and painful for the mother insofar as the decision to rid herself of the fruit of conception is not made for purely selfish reasons or out of convenience, but out of a desire to protect certain important values such as her own health or a decent standard of living for other members of the family. See, this is a slippery slope down which one begins to go. And he says, sometimes it's feared that the child to be born would live in such conditions that it would be better if the birth didn't take place. Nevertheless, these reasons and others like them, however serious and tragic, can never justify the deliberate killing of an innocent human being. This is what John Paul has just written there, is the playing out of that earlier statement that, uh, that we saw in 57 that said that um, it can never be licit as either an end in itself or as a means to a good end. No matter how you try to self-justify it, it is still a means to an end. You, treating the child as simply an object in the way, and that's the unfortunate, the unfortunate situation that we find. In, and you will hear cited so often. Um, we hear it cited. We heard it cited at the at the Academy Awards last year. A woman standing up and saying, "I would not have been here and been able to have such a great career if I had had that first child. If I hadn't had aborted that first child." That's horrific, and yet she plotted. Yeah, exactly.
0: Courageous, and that's fortunate. And he goes on to call out the men too. You know, he says the father of the child may be to blame. Uh, Indirectly encourages uh, uh, when he indirectly encourages such a decision on her part by leaving her alone to face the problems of pregnancy. In this way, the family is thus mortally wounded and profaned in its nature as a community of love and its vocation to be a sanctuary of life. You know, this uh, friends with benefits and hit it and quit it mentality that we have in our culture today is speaking exactly to that. You know, uh, when you, especially when you look at the, the, the black community, you know, when you see 70 percent of, of uh, children are born out of wedlock in, in our community and, and rising in other populations as well. This is tragic when it comes to issues of life. We have to build strong families. And people don't get it. Well, because their individual choice circumvents or supersedes their value and their commitment to family life. And what sex is? Well, we're not married. You know, you, you want to have sex is your your it's your problem now. You know, you go go to Planned Parenthood to take care of your problem. You know, I had a a woman tell me that. The guy said that to her. You know, go to Parenthood to take care of your problem. You know, so he calls it out. And this is one of the things that actually tears down uh, family life. He says, mortally wounds the family. So we have to fight against this. And this is why the church has the moral teaching that it has. Uh, Because you build strong fathers, strong men, strong family. Strong family, strong church,
1: strong church, strong society. Amen. Absolutely. Saw a recent uh, kind of interaction on Twitter, and, and somebody saying, Well, hey, you know, pro lifers, if you're going to make us have these babies, then, you know, does that mean you're going to make the fathers stay? <laughs> I'm nodding. I was like, Actually, it's a pretty good idea. Fathers are equally responsible for, for children that, that are created, and the children, it's not the child's fault. And yet, who's the, who's the primary victim? The child. Who is the strong secondary victim? The mother. It is not a victimless crime in any way. It is. Every time I think of Planned Parenthood, I think of the fact that less than half of their patients leave the place alive. Yeah, exactly. Somebody goes in for an abortion and also the soul that's killed, you know, the the pain, which is why ministries like Project Rachel for post-abortion healing are so important and Rachel's vineyard and all of those programs that that support women that have had to make this tragic choice and who are now carrying that with them. And fortunately this is these are ministries that are in almost every diocese in the United States. There is healing out there and God loves you. That you can do nothing to make God stop loving you and stop extending mercy to you. And there's help for you and there's love and the church wants to help because we are the body of Christ and Christ loves you and wants you to be healed. So if you've been touched by abortion, please seek help, pick up the phone book and look up project Rachel or Rachel's vineyard or any of the number of post-abortion healing ministries that are, that are helping that want to help and that want to extend God's mercy and love to
0: you. Yeah, that's a good point, Kenny. You know, and I talk to men often, when I talk to men, I usually speak very firmly very directly, you know, I um, don't mince words. And often this issue does come up that men that have participated in abortion, you know, um, that, you know, drove their girlfriends there. I remember one guy telling me that um, while his girlfriend was having an abortion, he was at the mall picking up other girls Wow. while his girlfriend was. Ha- I mean, that kind of thing. So, yes, so if, if men, if you've been involved in, in, in abortion as well, seek out those resources that Ken mentioned, uh, Project Rachel, uh, Rachel's Vineyard, but also I have a, a, a video out there called Rich in Mercy. If you've already sought the forgiveness of Holy Mother Church, but you still feel guilty, I know a lot of people that are like that, because that, I mean, the hardest person to forgive in a situation like that is yourself. Right. You know, you know the churches forgive you, Christ is forgiving you, but you still feel that ah, uh, you know, how how do you how do you get past and I'm not saying forget what happened, but how do you get past that to really receive the deep mercy of God? If you if you Google um, Deacon Harold Rich in Mercy, I have several different videos um, that, that talk about the process of that deep healing. Um, not easy. Because the four steps that I talk about in that video are four of the difficult steps that Jesus took for the cross. Um, but if you're willing to take that step, uh, the, the Holy Spirit will allow you to find healing, and and then you can be a vehicle of love and mercy in the life of someone else as well.
1: That's the most important bit there too, right? Is that God uses God is able to to draw to draw goodness from even the most unspeakable and horrific acts doesn't mean we should do them so that God can, can do great things with us, but it does mean that, that it's not the end, it, that it is, it, it is a step in your journey that, that God wants to continue walking with you, and, and the church wants to accompany you, in the words of Pope Francis. We want to accompany you so that you too can be on this pilgrim journey to the kingdom. Um, and so I'm grateful that you share that that resource, Deacon Harold. The uh, Deacon Harold, Rich in Mercy. Just type yeah, that just into Google
0: it, Rich in Mercy, <laughs> or you can go to my YouTube channel. You'll find it on there as well. But easiest way, just Deacon Harold, Rich in Mercy. But Ken, as always, you know we we talk too much and we run out of time.
1: <laughs> hey, we made it through like like two paragraphs this time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this
0: is great. I mean, just wonderful because sometimes, you know, you got you just got to veer off and just flush things out, you
1: know. Yep. And um, but but how can uh, folks stay in touch with us till next time? So we are on Facebook at Living Stones Media, and we have a little group there, so type it in, and we put resources and links to interesting documents and what have you, so please connect with us that way. You can also download all the previous episodes of the show at MaterDeiRadio.com. Deacon, we're going to gather next week, but until we get there, can we have a blessing to help us get through this week? Sure. May Almighty God bless
0: you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here
1: on Living Stones. You've been listening to
0: Living Stones with Ken Helanius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I-Radio.com.